Welcome to Promised Land at Home Podcast, where we bring people into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. Wherever life has you, we pray that today's sermon both challenges and encourages you. We're so glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the message. I want you to open up your Bibles today to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bible or your phone or whatever, if not, we'll put it up on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and I just want to read this to you really quick. And yeah, we'll dive in. Okay. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know, they are true for, you know, you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. I want to read that again. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Scripture today, I just want to like use this as a foundation. Um, and I want to preach a message to you guys over the next few moments. Um, 31 to be exact. A message that I'm going to call, if I knew better, I do better. If I knew better, I do better. Let me pray for you really quick, okay? Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for uh, this moment to just share your word. I pray, God, that you would just lead me. Holy Spirit, you would lead me. You would just um, guide us down a path. You would encourage us. You would challenge us. You would convict us. um, And that we would walk out of here more in love with Jesus than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. 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 I had this thought yesterday. Um, so, little backstory. Pastor Nate, who was just up here leading worship, his birthday is tomorrow. Tomorrow's his birthday. He was born on Halloween. That's cool. Um, and so because of that, last night, he invited myself, my wife, and some of our old friends to dinner. Uh, Nate and I have known each other for well over 10 years, I think 12 years. We went to Bible college together, and while at Bible college, we made a ton of friends who became lifelong friends. Sometime after our time at Bible college, we all ended up in Cedar Park. There was a group of us, you know, eight to 10 of us that became friends in college, and then all ended up in Cedar Park. We were going to the same church. We were kind of doing ministry together, all this stuff, and Nate and I have now ended up in San Marcos from that, but from time to time, we have the opportunity to just all get together with that group of friends from college. Most of us uh, from that group are all married now. Some of us have kids, um, so on and so forth. And so it's always fun to get back together. And every time we get back together and we hang out, no matter what we do, there's always a moment in our conversation where we talk about all just the dumb things that we used to do when we were in college, right? Like the dumb ideas we had, the dumb decisions we've made, people that we dated and we maybe shouldn't have, or, you know, whatever happens, right? Everybody makes mistakes, right? I, I was reminded of this story myself. Whenever I was in college, Bible college, the first semester went great, you know? Like, I wanted to be, like, this good student, and I wanted to, you know, just follow God. 
then I got there and I realized like, I don't know, like, you know, like, we'll, we'll see how this goes, right? So my first semester was great. My second semester was terrible, all right? It was, like, really bad. I made some bad decisions. I was, like, we used to play basketball all hours of the night, all this stuff. And so my grades obviously suffered. Uh, and I remember thinking I had this idea that if I just, like, could get to know more of the academic advisor, because the way the Bible college goes, it's a little different than, like, a traditional university, you know? It's not, like, as structured and grades and, you know, you have deans and all stuff. It wasn't like that. Okay. So, um, I was like, I'm going to make an appointment with this academic advisor. So I got to know her a little bit. And then I found out who her boyfriend was. He was like this sound engineer that I had had a relationship with. So I went to her boyfriend. I was like, yo, I need to know like all your girlfriend's like favorite snacks, drinks, movies, like everything you can tell me. And he was cool. He was like, yeah, like she'll love this, like take her all this stuff. So me and my buddy, Justin, we made this huge basket. And we, like, put a note in there, and we're like, hi, like, I'm Emilio. You probably can, like, see where my grades are right now. I can't end the semester this way, so here's the offering. Do as you please, you know, and, like, left it at that. Terrible idea, but I will say it worked, okay? It completely worked. I don't know how I passed my first year of college, but I definitely, this is, this is not biblical, okay? If you're, like, going to leave here, all of our Texas State students, don't try this. I'm sure you'll get in much more trouble at Texas State than I did at my Bible college. Nate reminded me of a story at this Bible college. Like I said, it was a little different, and we had these moments, or we, we had, like, more rules. There was, like, chapel you had to go to, curfew, um, you know, there was this big rule that you can't leave the campus with someone of the opposite sex. It just like wasn't allowed, right? And so we're laughing about that. Like, do you remember? Like, we couldn't even leave the campus, like guys with girls and all this stuff. My friend EJ told me a story that with his girlfriend, because he started dating this girl while he was there, and they would want to go on dates, but they couldn't. He would get in her trunk and ride through security just so they could go out, like just the two of them. Like, it's just like moronic stuff. Nate told me a funny story, Pastor Nate, that he was dating a girl and they weren't allowed to leave together. So they snuck out one night, like in her car, thinking that they were just going to like, it wasn't dinner. It wasn't like midnight. It was just like no normal times. Okay. I'm not trying to like <laughs> throw Nate under the bus here, but he just wanted to go to dinner. Okay. With his girlfriend. And they were like, Oh, we got out. We're free. Like it's all good. And while they're driving to dinner, she runs out of gas. Okay. So he's like, had to call for help. They got caught. It was bad. Okay. It was like really bad, but we, we tell these stories and, and maybe some of you are thinking of some stories that maybe you have from when you were teens or twenties or thirties or last weekend. I don't know uh, when you made bad decisions, but um, you know, there's this concept that like I kind of came to last night um, that I felt like it fit so well because I had already come up with this. But like when, when you look back on your life on some of those dumb things, you're like, man, if I knew better, I would do better. You know, like if I just, if I had more knowledge, more wisdom, I would have made better decisions. And I think that some of us still live our lives this way today. You know, we make decisions without having the fullness of knowledge without, you know, being fully equipped, without seeking counsel. And because of that, we look back on it like, oh, man, that was not the best decision, but I didn't know any better. And I'm not only talking about our personal life, I'm also talking about our spiritual life. And I want to bring to you just some word, the word of God today in maybe a little bit different perspective than you're used to maybe hearing on YouTube or in these different areas. I want to present to you some truth from the Bible that challenges you, that doesn't allow us to live in our ignorance. 
It doesn't allow us to say, oh, I didn't know any better. It's very easy for us as believers and as Christians to look out into a world and criticize the world. These are the darkest days. This generation is the worst generation that's ever come. I can't stand millennials. They're ruining my corporation, whatever it might be, right? And we criticize and we say how dark things are, but we fail to realize that the reason that things are so dark is because there's no light. And the reason that there's no light is because there's a lot of believers who don't know that it's our job to be the light in dark places. And so when we don't have the knowledge that it's our responsibility to be the light, we'll never bring the light, more darkness will come, and then we'll criticize the people in the darkness, that they're living in darkness, and fail to realize that it was your responsibility from the beginning to bring them out of that darkness, help pull them into that marvelous light. It's okay, we'll get there. It's going to be a little different than like how I usually preach, but I'm just so convicted personally. Like I can't criticize anymore. I've got to take responsibility. And it's like I'm reading my Bible and it feels different nowadays. Like the days of treating the word of God or Jesus or God in your faith like a vending machine are coming to an end. This thing that you get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible that you want to subscribe to and what parts you want to reject because it's, it's not comfortable or it challenges you. We don't get to just put in a currency and pull out what we want and leave everything else. There are scriptures that are written literally, not figuratively, not poetically, literally for us to, to abide by and to receive. All of us in here in some way at some point, whether it's already happened or it'll happen one day, have this moment where we experience Jesus, God, in human form who came, we hear the gospel, and we say, I want to make him Lord of my life, right? It could be because of tragedy, could be out of desperation, could be you just got invited to a conference when you were a small kid and God just really moved in your life. I don't know your story. You have to fill in the blank. But the reality is, is that when you choose to make Jesus Lord of your life, you have to make the decision as Lord, I subscribe and I bow and I follow everything that you say, not just the things that I want to. That's part of lordship. There's a complete surrendering. That's what it means when we say surrender it all to God. What we're saying is that everything that he has written and said in his word, you are now subject to. But what happens, I think, at times is two things. Number one, we pick and choose, right? Well, I serve God, but I still want to indulge in sin. I serve God, but I still want to, you know, be, uh, I still, you know, haven't given up anger or I haven't given up my frustration or my old ways or I want to stick to this or I want, I, I'm going to still be prideful or, or these things that, that happen. Or two, you surrender to God and your relationship stops there. It doesn't go past a Sunday morning, maybe a Wednesday night small group. And so you honestly just kind of don't know. And so you live your life in a cycle of sin, in a cycle of anxiety, in a cycle of depression, in a cycle of trauma from your childhood, 
simply because you don't know. And what I don't want is us as a church or you as an individual believer to look back on your life in two years, five years, ten years, and look at all the things that God called you to do that you didn't do. Or maybe some of the things that you did do that you knew you were not supposed to do. Or, or whatever it is in between and say, dang, if I only knew better, I would have done better. Because the reality is, is that you have all the information you need to know now. The word of God is presented to you so that you can know now. We create small group environments so that people who have been through what you're going through can teach you now. There's pastors who get up here and preach and teach to you to help encourage you and show you those things now. There's people who work here full time. There is other things that we do. I know some of you think we just sit around and wait for you to text us so we can pop up and, you know, we just take naps and play golf. That is not what happens. But there are people full time who are willing to clear their schedule so that you can know now. And if we look back on our life spiritually and say, man, I missed out on that or I was outside the will of God or whatever, whatever, because I didn't know better. We have to take responsibility at some point and say, I didn't know because I chose not to learn. And it bleeds into every area of your life. Do you know that the more you know Jesus, the more compassionate you should become? Do you know that you should have a love for people? that your heart should grow, that you should heal from certain things. I'm not saying it happens instantaneously. I'm not ignorant to think that we're all just going to live this happy, perfect life. But there should be a real adjustment that comes to your life. Can I just be honest with you this morning? If you have accepted Jesus in your life and you li your life looks exactly the same today than it did before you received him, maybe you haven't really made him Lord of your life. The compassion that grows in you, the heart that you should have for other people, the things that you should be able to overcome. We should live differently. Romans tells us that we should not conform to the ways of the world any longer, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It tells us that we're to repent. That word comes from a word, and Pastor Robin has taught it before. The word is metanoia. And it's where we get our modern day or English word metamorphosis. Right? When something changes, we, the, the word literally changes us. It's like, it's like when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. They experience metamorphosis. There's a complete shifting. That's what the Bible tells us, that you shouldn't conform to the world, but that you should literally be changed by the renewing of your mind, what, the, the new information that your mind has taken on when it comes to Jesus. You should, you should complete, like, like begin a shifting process. And, I, and I'm afraid that when we build uh, uh, communities or, or whatever it might be, that there's more people that are trying to change the word for them than are changing themselves for the word. And we, that's not the way it was intended. We, we are to become more loving, more compassionate. Can we put that first scripture up there? That first scripture, just, just talking about Loving people. First, or first John, sorry. Can we put First John 2.9? If anyone claims that I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. 
These scriptures that I'm about to present to you this morning might not be the funnest scriptures to hear, but I want to assure you a few things. Number one, this is New Testament. This is after the work of Jesus. I know sometimes we can read things in the Old Testament and be like, oh, that's before Jesus. I'm exemplified from that. I'm excluded from that. No, this is, these are writings after the work of Jesus to believers. Can I translate this? If anyone claims that I am saved, if anyone claims Jesus is Lord, but has a distaste for another person, that person is lying. Distaste. If anyone claims that I am living in the light, but gossips about somebody else. If anyone claims that I am living in the light, but cheats people out of things. Is dishonest to people. Is intentionally hurtful. Is prideful. Pulls people down to make themselves feel better. They're not telling you the truth. Because the word of God changes us. It changes who we are. And it's never too late. And let me be clear. If you find yourself in any category that says, hey, I'm not the best person that I can be right now or there's things that God needs to work on, that's okay. God is a gracious, loving God. And I need to be very clear with you. All of the adjustments that we are to make, we're not doing it so that God can love us. God already loves you no matter what. He's a loving, giving God with his arms wide open waiting for you to come home at every moment. God doesn't see you mess up and he's like, well, I'm going to put him out of the wheel because I'm very disappointed. at him." That's not how it works. The Bible says in Ephesians that he's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. It says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? That he has a plan for you and those plans are good. We as humans make decisions that can derail us from living the life that God has called us to live. If you are in a moment where it feels like God is far from you, it's not because God has moved. It's because you have put distance in between you and God. If you're in a place where you're like, God's not speaking to me, it's not because God is just saying, I don't want to say anything to you because I'm disappointed. It's because there's things in your life that could really be hindering you from hearing what God has to say. At some point in this relationship with you and God, and, and we preach grace because grace is true, and the Bible says that you were saved by faith, by, by grace through faith, right? So that means that it's a free gift for you. All you have to do is believe in God. And we like to take that concept of grace and salvation and say, oh God, you saved me with grace. Thank you so much. And then just, just smear it all over our relationship and remove or rid ourselves of any responsibility in our relationship with God. And that's not what the Bible says. There does come a point where you go from drinking milk, the Bible says, to eating meat. And somewhere in that process, we begin to take responsibility for what we do, our actions. Not for God's love, from God's love. It says it's the goodness of God that turns people to repentance. What does that mean? That he's so loving and so gracious and so good that when I look at him, I have no choice to be like, God, I don't want to be the way that I used to be, into the things that I used to be into. I don't want to still be angry, still be hateful in the world, still bring up political arguments just to poke at people online. I don't want to be dealing with the same mess that I'm dealing with because you are so good that I just have to change. I just want to because you loved me so much and I'm so free now and I'm so secure now and I'm so just engulfed in your love that I want to look like you look, talk like you talk and act like you act. Metamorphosis. But with that comes truth. And like I said, it bleeds in. You should be a nicer person. 
It bleeds over into your prayer life. Can I, can I expose you to some truth? Because the moment that I expose you, you're not responsible for it. So if you don't want to hear it, you can walk out right now. I won't be mad at you. Look what the Bible says about prayer. Let's put up James 1, chapter 1. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your father, uh, your faith, excuse me, is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. Listen to this. He's talking about a double-minded person, someone who goes to God, but then also has a plan B or is trying to hold control on their own. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. This is New Testament. Look, God is a God who does what he wants. And for me to move forward with this concept of prayer and it not seem like I'm picking on any person or I'm trying to say like there's a problem with you that's why you know you're not getting the things that you want I I need to say this prayer is for you to align yourself with where God is and what God is doing prayer was intended for that to say, God, here's a situation that I have. And rather than tell God, this is exactly what I need you to do in this situation, we say, God, whatever your plan is for this situation, I submit to that. It's the difference. Because the same way that we treat Christianity sometimes is the same way we submit, the way that we treat prayer, like it's this vending machine. That God, if I can just take a little bit of prayer and put it in, that I can push a couple buttons and get out exactly what I want. But what is happening in that is that we make ourselves the Lord and then we make God just someone who serves on our behalf. Prayer was not for that. Prayer is to align our heart. God, this is hard and I struggle and I'm sad and I'm broken. But please just show me your goodness in this. It says that we're to come with God and just put our faith in him. Nowhere in that does it say, bring bring your wish list to God and God will give it to you and everything will be good. It says, no, just come to God with faith. God's not mad that you ask. But he looks at your heart. Look at the next one, the next verse. The next one is... uh, What is this? James 4, 1 and 2. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. The next one. And even when you ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. New Testament. How many of us go to God? God, give me this. God, give me this. Give me this. Versus, Lord, I just want to get close to you. We prostitute prayer. 
We take no time to urge us, just, just get on your knees and just say, God, I know that I'm broken, but if you could just heal me, I, or if you could just get close to me, or if you could just teach me your word, give me revelation, change my heart towards my boss, change my heart towards my spouse, change my verses, God, do something in this situation. I need you to do this and do this, A, B, and C, fix them. They're the problem. Do, like, like we just bring this stuff versus just submitting to God's will. And God, and James is writing right here that even when you do ask, if your motives are wrong, if your heart is in the wrong place, you want only what gives you pleasure. Those things will not come. God views our heart. You're not going to hear this preached about a lot because it's not really fun to hear. But if I knew better, I would do better. Last one on prayer. I think we have one more. In the same way, Here, I'm talking to a very specific group of people here. Listen to this. This is New Testament. 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. How are you treating your wife, husband? Come on, I'm guilty too. Those fights happen, those disagreements happen. Things are said that shouldn't be said. Words are used that shouldn't be used. Anger boils up in you. You separate because you're so angry and you're like, God, fix her. God, you gotta do something in this marriage because I've, I've had it. Maybe even it's different. God, if you could just... If you could just, you know, go from saying you're this and this or whatever, these words that aren't honoring, that aren't uplifting, you're not leading. And then you want to turn to God and be like, God, if you could just fix this marriage, if you could just, look what it says. Are you treating her as you should? I know it says husbands with single people. Let me talk to you as well. You're dating Are you treating each other like you should? Are you respecting each other like you should? Each other's privacy, each other's intimacy, each other's purity. You don't want to look back in five years and say, man, if I only knew better, I would have done better. No, you have an opportunity to know now. And it bleeds over. We put out a thing online, some questions on social media. People were asking questions. You know, I, I just wanted to ask, what, what are things that people think of? You know, what questions do you have about the Bible, about the word? And my intention for that was to really just like say, like, how could we help each other learn more about this particular situation? So I picked four things and I'm going to go through them really quickly. But the first one of the ones that came in, a couple of people put was the question about the Trinity. For those of you who don't know, it's a statement, you know, Trinity, that there's uh, like one God, three Godheads. There's, this, there's God the Father, the Creator. Then Jesus came on earth, who's also God. You know, God the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus left us the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the Trinity. You could go on and on. And if you'd ever love to have a conversation, I'm sure at some point, not right after service though, but I'm sure at some point we could talk about it. But what I do, what I do want to let you know about this question is, for as much as we can talk about it, there is a Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I'm giving you a gift, 
an advocate, a Holy Spirit who's here to fight your battles, who's here to walk with you through things. And I think that there's a lot of believers who live their life without knowing the power of the Holy Spirit, and so their life looks very different than what it should. You need to know better now that there is the Spirit of God. Over 53 times in the New Testament, Paul says that you're either in Christ or Christ is in you. It says the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is within you, and it empowers you. How many of us walk through everyday life full of struggles and hardships, full of temptation, full of fear, full of anxiety, not fully really understanding that there's a Holy Spirit that's in us. And even if we do, sometimes we forget. And it's so much easier to submit ourselves to the things of this world versus the power that has been placed in us. If you have some submitted yourself to, to the Lord Jesus and called him Lord over your life, he's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit that says that he will build up your inner faith, that he will allow you to do things and move in ways that you never saw possible. He's your reminder of everything that God has already said about you. He's your hope for a new day in tomorrow. He's your empowerment for the life that God has set before you. You were not meant to live this life alone. And some of us will not do better now because we don't know about the Holy Spirit and who he is. I want to encourage you to submit yourself to that. Maybe you've had bad experiences or been weird or spooky or whatever. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never go against the word of God. He will never lead you in a direction that God does not have set before you because it is God's spirit literally in you to wake up every morning and say, I can go boldly to the throne of God because Jesus has done a work and now his spirit lives in me. That's all I have to say about the Trinity. It says God's promises. Are they for us today? You know, like he says things in the Old Testament, but can I believe, can I, can I stand on that? I want to tell you one thing. The Bible says that your God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did something then, he is capable, able, able and willing to do it today. God is a God who is never changing. He's undefeated. And there, it might seem very particular to some stories, but I want to tell you that God is for you and not against you. And if he is for you, no one can be against you. So can I, can I believe that God can do something that I read in the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. The afterlife. A lot, few people have questions about the afterlife. What's going to happen or who am I going to see or whatever. I want to be very clear with you and I want to say this in the most loving way. The afterlife has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. The Bible lets us know that, that we, we see God from every position that we, that we have in heaven. Heaven is all about God. When we enter heaven, no matter where you are, the radiance of God's glory is there, that we stand in awe of God. It says in Revelation that there are these beasts that fly around the head of God and they circle around. For all of eternity, they've been doing this. And every time they make a full circle around God's head, the Bible says that they see something new, that they're just blown away. It takes their breath away. And all they can do is just sing holy, 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 set apart, set apart for all of eternity. And his radiance is just glowing. And he's there, the fullness of life in him. Everything that we've ever desired, the need to worship, the need to just have a savior is in his fullness. And we are closer to him than ever before. Living in a place that we were meant to live and doing the thing that we were always created to do. And I say this in love. But with all of that known, do you think that it matters that much if little Skippy, who at eight years old, ate a bone that they shouldn't have, and we lost them way too early, is right there next to you? 
I'm not trying to be harsh or rude or anything like that, but, but do you see how much we make this thing about us when it has nothing to do with us at all? To go as far to say that the, the, the place that God created for him to dwell and he opens it up to us and says, come closer than you've ever been to me so you can feel my love more than you've ever felt. And you say, yeah, but how does that serve me? Afterlife is all about Jesus. Last question had to do with the prophets. Someone asked, you know, help me understand the prophets. We can go on for days and days about the prophets in the Old Testament, why their purpose was, but here's, here's what it is. We're gonna end right here, so here's what it is. For, for all of history, since the creation of man, and some of you just learned about this this past week, God has just been trying to have a relationship with us. And time after time after time after time after time, we've just let God down. We've rejected him. He's picked us up. We've rejected him. There's a scripture in Isaiah when the prophet speaks on behalf of God and says, my people, I've, I've held your hand and walked with you. I dusted your knees off when you've scraped them. I stooped down low to feed you. God is saying this to his people, and yet you have rejected me again and again and again. And even in that, God just gives himself to people and they tell him, God, we don't want you. We want a physical king. And it says that it break, broke his heart. And so many times we see how many times we, we've broken God's heart. And a chasm grew. And there was so much distance between God and people that, that, that this is what had to happen. The Bible says that the only way that we could be forgiven of our sins is for once a year there was this thing called the Day of Atonement. And, and the reason that I, I tie this in with the prophets is because God set the prophets there to, to speak on behalf of them because people were so distant and so wicked that they couldn't even hear God for themselves. And so he gives the prophets to at least they can hear God's heart. That's all they were trying to do is just cry out to the world. This is the heart of God. We can talk for hours about what the prophets said then, but quite frankly, I'm more concerned of what prophets are gonna rise up and hear and do what God has called them to do. We can criticize that dark world all we want, or we can choose to know better and take on that mantle and speak on behalf of a God who still wants the relationship with his people today as much as he did then. And, he can, and we can tell him that there is a loving God. And we do that with our actions and we do that with how we act at work and how we treat people in the grocery store. As you go, you make disciples. No, no, we can talk about prophets for days and days and days, but are you rising up and being the prophet that God has called you to be? What are you more concerned about? What are, what are you finding yourself having conversations about? Is it the goodness of God? When is the last time that you just stopped for a second and said, you know what? I'm gonna share the goodness of God with this person, even though it might make me feel uncomfortable or I might look silly, but God has called me to do this. And you know, no one's exempted because when Christ rose from the dead, he said, now you go. You go. You want to talk about prophets? I'm looking at them. But this chasm had gone so far between God and man that the only way we could be forgiven of our sins was one day. There was a day of atonement. And the holy priest had to go into the Holy of Holies. There's a lot of layers. And they finally get to the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, they would have to perform these rituals, these religious acts, because there was so much distance between God and man. And essentially what would happen is they would have to take a bull. They would sacrifice the bull, cut it in half, just so that the priest himself could be seen as, as pure. He would dip his fingers in the blood of the bull, sprinkle them a certain amount of times on one end, a certain amount of times on the other end, open it this way. It had to, all these things had to happen. Then he 
would take two goats and one goat he would slaughter. The blood would spill so that the sins could be forgiven of everybody. The other goat he would press down on his head and say, all the sins of the world have to go on this goat. It's where we get our term scapegoat. It was a scapegoat. Then they would set this scapegoat into the wilderness. It would walk as far as they can and they would let it go as a representation of how our sins are leaving us. Now, if any one thing in this long laborious process went wrong, the Bible tells us that that priest would die instantly. If everything went correct, we were forgiven of our sins until the next moment that we sinned. And then we sinned the next day, and it's like, oh my gosh, I got 364 more days. What if I die in between then? How am I going to be forgiven? Am I going to go to heaven or hell? And we spend all of our time saying, oh my gosh, I can't sin. You know, my wife's really picking a fight with me, but I'm not going to say anything. This person, my boss is really giving it to me, and they're like, you're a jerk. And you're like, dang it, I sinned, and I'm screwed. The pressure, they had no choice, no option to go to God, no way of connecting with him, no way of feeling his love. It was all a religious act of I have to confess and I have to sacrifice and get a spotless goat and no broken bones and this long list. And it was just so tiring and hard. And how could I ever be right with God? I cannot live up to the law. I make these mistakes and I am doomed for hell. And they weren't wrong. 400 years, God said it's nothing. And then all of a sudden, someone by the name of Jesus steps on the scene. He says, I know you've been living this way, in fear, in misery, sacrificing animal after animal after animal, in hopes that maybe you can make it into heaven so far from God. But I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that I through him may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he says it's going to take me being beaten, mutilated, mocked, cursed, and ultimately crucified. But you're worth it. And I bring that story up for you today because I think we come into churches often and we can recognize, oh man, look at this amazing work that Jesus did. It's cool. And then we go back to just living the life that we want to live because we don't know, we don't have the knowledge of what it was that he actually rescued us from. And if you don't understand what it used to take for you to be free, you'll never really uh, appreciate the fact that you have the ability now to be free, the ability now to pray to God, the ability now to speak up against devils and stomp on the heads of serpents, the ability now to not live with anxiety, the ability now to not have depression, the ability now to not live a life bound by fear. You don't have to stoop low and, and, and lower your standards. You don't have to give yourself up for approval. You don't have to be fearful of whatever is around the corner. You don't have to talk a certain way around this people and then a different way around this people because your pride needs to stay intact. You can stand free because of the work of Jesus. And if you knew better, I really believe you would do better. And so today, all I wanted to do was expose you to truth because now you can walk out of here knowing God loves you, but you can also walk out of here beginning your metamorphosis. The change that occurs when you encounter the love of God. Church and Christianity is not a game. 
It's not for fun. It's not a checkbox to make yourself feel better. It's the ability to have a real loving relationship with the God who loved you so much that he gave everything. And everything that is written is written for you. And every, everything that we preach is preached so that we could be built up in our most holy faith so that sin doesn't easily entangle you, so you don't give a foothold to the enemy. Regardless of age, demographic, God doesn't care. He wants you. He wants you to know better so you can do better. Not for his love, but from it. Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the word. God, I pray that we leave here beginning our metamorphosis. God, beginning a change you have set before us. When I look out in this crowd, God, I see prophets. I see evangelists. I see teachers. I see preachers. I see young people college students who are living in a way, God, that maybe is not pleasing to you right now, but it's, it's, I just feel in my heart, I just saw a few people in here today that the life you're living right now is maybe not the way God wants you to live it, but God has so much more for you and the metamorphosis, the changing that is gonna start today is gonna propel you into a journey and a life of faith that you have never even thought or imagined. I think that I looked at people, I made eye contact with people while preaching and the spirit told me there's people in here called to full-time ministry. There's people in here I really felt like a particular uh, 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 time that there was someone that was really called to begin a business that glorifies God. And God, I just loose whatever you have for, the, for us for this congregation, for our community, for Promise and Church. I just speak it over God. And as we begin to learn more and fall in love with your word and fall in love with prayer and fall in love with the things that you have taught us, God, that we will be changed forever. And the impact will be much larger than ourselves. We give it all up to you, God, and we say, have your way. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget we want to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Promised Land San Marcos, on Instagram at PSM Church, or on our website, psmchurch.com. Thanks again for listening to the Promised Land at Home podcast.